Hi everybody, you're listening to the HEC MBA Private Equity and Venture Capital Club podcast, a podcast that brings professionals of the industry directly to your ears. Hello everyone, my name is Alexandra Sochevic and today we're happy to host Pedja Predin, an investment manager at SC Ventures, a VC fund with headquarters in Belgrade, focused on investments in the emerging markets in the Balkan region. Today, we're honored to have you here with us. Pedja, how are you? Thank you, Alexandra. Um, I really cannot complain too hard. I'm very happy to be here with you guys and share my story. Same here. Uh, also, hope we can travel soon and would love to come to RSSA campus soon. That would be lovely. Um, could you give us a short glance about your education and career journey? Where did you start and what path did you take to enter venture capital? I will start a bit earlier uh, from my childhood, but I'll be quick. Sure. So, so please uh, stop me if, you, if it's needed. So I grew up in a small town in Serbia. Uh, it's called Bece. It's in the north part. And have been actively doing sports uh, since I was a little kid. I was doing water polo, and this allowed me to get a scholarship uh, to study in New York, and in parallel to, to this way finance my economics degree. And upon bachelor degree graduation in 2010, I went to work for Egon Zender, executive search company, and that was an amazing opportunity to kind of get the client work experience at the beginning of my career and work on a C-suite uh, setting and, and global projects, pretty much. Uh, after three years there, um, I decided I wanted to expand on my business acumen. So I went to, I went to INSEAD uh, for my MBA. Uh, I have to say I primarily uh, wandered around the Fontainebleau forest over there. Uh, but in addition to that, I actually organized the uh, INSEAD uh, Private Equity and Venture Capital Conference, uh, which was very interesting and successful. And uh, upon graduation, uh, with all of that, my, uh, my plan was to go into the tech sector, into the IT. So I started first in a big company such as Microsoft, where I was doing uh, business strategy um, and was based in Munich. And then after two years, uh, realizing that my impact in a big company was quite limited, and uh, as I wanted to be in a fast-paced environment, um, I decided to join a company called Gelato, which is, unfortunately is not an ice cream brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a web-to-print software. And over there, I, I was leading global expansion and business development and pretty much spent about three years uh, traveling around the world, um, including six months in China, uh, went to India a couple of times, spent some time in Africa. It was super fun. Uh, but at the same time, I was following what was happening in Serbia. Uh, and with all of that global experience um, that I gained living in, across six countries, I thought it was the right time to come back. Um, because also the IT sector was growing really rapidly in Serbia and the region. So as I came back, I did a few small projects as a consultant and a mentor for startups. And then the, the regional venture capital fund, uh, SC Ventures, reached out to me um, and recruited me. So I've been there for about a year and a half now. Amazing story. Thank you so much. 
Um, another question, given that you did your MBA at INSEAD, how strongly do you believe that the skills that you acquired there help you excel at SC Ventures? And what about other professional experience that, experiences that you had? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, let's, let's start first with INSEAD. Um, so my MBA experience, uh, I think it kind of helped me to, to, to get faster to adapt for couple of various couple of elements related to, to the VC work. So um, I think that going into the investing, uh, Insel taught me about the theoretical elements uh, and modeling, uh, which at the end of the day could be also taught online. Um, but if we go into more practical skills acquired there, I think that very good uh, classes that I took were related to negotiations. And then also about the sales and how to do the fundraise, which was very important. And I have to say, it's one of the underestimated skills um, today. But lastly, but not the least, I think that INSEAD also provided me with a network of founders and other VCs and co-investors all across the world uh, that could potentially be partners to what we do today. And uh, it's very difficult to put, put a price tag on this. Um, If we look at other experiences, such as uh, Egon Zender, Gelato, and Microsoft, I think that the key element was having both kind of like a quantitative and qualitative side of the brain. So uh, being able to analyze different things, but also build relationships um, and uh, go into kind of like a human psychology. And uh, having all of, all of these parts um, probably prepared me quite well for the VC. and uh, I'm, I'm quite happy that I, I took this route. It was maybe unusual at the time, but um, yeah, let's see how it's going to turn out in the, in the future. Great. And uh, speaking of these traits, in your opinion, what are the typical traits that one needs to have when working for a VC fund? So I think it's a very good question. I'll focus here on what's needed for an um, investment professional in early stage VC fund as that that's an area that I'm comfortable with. Okay. Um, so these funds are usually small teams uh, and it's almost like a startup. So it really adds value to the fund if you can wear multiple hats at the same time uh, as you, at the same time while you're working in the fund, you need, to build, uh, you need to build different processes. So if we decide this kind of like a VC role into three parts, uh, there are some traits that are characteristic for each one of these parts. So I would say uh, you want to be an expert in one or two areas, usually one, and then good enough in the others. So for example, if we start with the fundraise, you really need to know how to sell and be comfortable uh, pitching almost on, on a daily basis to different investors. Then you have the part which is called the pipeline and you need to scout really good investments early on. So you need to identify what's the right product, technology, market, Team. You need to negotiate and close these deals. So that, that's another trait which is important to at least be good enough in it. And then you have the portfolio part uh, where once you make an investment, you need to provide some operational and strategic advice for this specific line of business. So I think it's super important if you're able to roll up the sleeves with, and, and work closely uh, with the founder's team. Um, so the founders of your investment. So I think... Uh, You know, it's very difficult to be an expert in all of this, 
but I think if you have an edge in one of them and then can also cover the other parts, uh, you can be successful. But at the end of the day, uh, luck plays a, a big role in success of the VC investor. I mean, you can work for seven or 10 years, do everything well, but if you don't have a good exit, uh, nothing really counts. Um, could you tell us more about SC Ventures? What startups do you focus on? Um, what is it that you search in a startup in terms of ideas and management? Uh, could you say that there is a pattern or does it different, uh, differ from startup to startup? Yeah, so SC Ventures is a regional fund. So we focus on the region of uh, Western Balkans. Um, and uh, we invest about 40 million euros in this fund. Uh, so far, we made 26 investments uh, across uh, all of the countries here. And typical investment size is usually between a couple of hundred thousand euros up until 3 million euros per company. In terms of the sector, uh, we are a bit agnostic. Uh, so it really doesn't matter, uh, you know, what exactly the company is doing. I mean, it matters, but we are not making a decision initially. Um, we are looking for the best founders and the best teams that have an edge. They, they have some unfair competitive advantage in their space. And from the region, uh, they're able to build the global story. So they're able to, for example, digitally transform uh, certain traditional industries. And uh, we, we see our role in being the bridge uh, and helping this company from the region, from let's say Belgrade or Novi Sad or Zagreb, move to London, to Berlin, to Paris, to Silicon Valley. So we want to support them strategically, operationally, and through fundraise and help them kind of get to the next level. So we have a strong network of uh, VC co-investors that are coming from all over the world and also corporate partners. Um, how is it that you search or come across new investment opportunities? So, I mean, our region is quite small. Um, and I mean, if you look at in total, it's a population of 20 million people. And we are the first uh, fund that, that uh, entered the region in late 2015, early 2016. So at the end of the day, we are the market maker in the region. And a lot of the new investment opportunities, they, they come inbound. So they come through our network of references and then people reach out to us. But at the same time, we do actively scan the entire market as the best opportunities are usually the ones that are below the radar. And we don't want to, we don't want to miss out on anything. Um, so one of the interesting parts, uh, interesting elements uh, that we see more often recently are those kind of uh, diaspora deals where, for example, one co-founder is based in the US, UK, or Germany, or France, but uh, he or she has an origin in Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, or Montenegro. And then through all of that, they want to build local teams here on the ground in the region, and then have the commercial operations in Western Europe or US. So we had a couple of those investments, and uh, they've been so far quite, quite interesting. Um, when you manage a new deal, what would be a typical process in your team? What kind of deals do you value the most? Typically, the process for the transaction lasts about two to three months. Uh, it's getting shorter these days than in the past as the market is getting more competitive. Um, usually, we would have one person, for example, me, 
running the entire deal by myself and then uh, also working closely with the investment committee and getting the approval from the committee to be able to, to conduct the transaction at the end. And then once the investment committee gives a green light, um, at the end, we conduct typical due diligence, so legal, financial, technical, and then we also need to conduct environmental system sustainability. If all of these uh, elements are in place, uh, then you're able to wire the funds and work closely with the new company. And usually we would have a seat uh, in the board and then uh, yeah, work with them for, for a while until uh, they're able to raise new investment or move to the next level. What would be the basic investment strategy when it comes to investing into emerging markets? Are there any strong constraints that are different from other markets? I can talk here about uh, our market that we cover and maybe about the specific characteristics of this market. So the key element that the region is playing on is the labor cost arbitrage. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the development of the ecosystem here, it started with uh, outsourcing about 20, 20 plus years ago where um, certain companies were providing IT services to, to US or UK company for the fraction of the cost. And still the, the labor costs are much lower. You know, if you are paying for engineers, uh, they're much lower here than what you would pay in Paris or London or New York. But at the yeah. same time, you do have strong technical talent. Uh, we are quite strong in engineering and mathematics. And there also been uh, quite good successes uh, in terms of gaming and blockchain sectors in the last couple of years. So having that in mind, I think it's also important to think about the governance. So if you're an investor from abroad, from Western Europe or US, and you're entering the region, you do need to ensure that everything is done properly. Um, so uh, you need to set up all of the books, all of the legal documents, have the clean uh, cap table. And then I think this region was historically maybe more exotic towards the, uh, towards the London-based investors, but these days we see more and more of them uh, entering as they see the, the opportunity uh, to come in early on uh, when it's a bit cheap, the, level, the valuations are lower, but then the, the opportunity is large and then they can, they can make uh, good returns. How do you decide if a startup is worth a follow-up investment or just to stop there? So we typically uh, start in uh, seed investments. So as I mentioned earlier, around a couple of hundred thousand euros per mm -hmm. company. And then we would follow them on up to Series A investments. Um, so good thing about the follow-on is that you know the company quite well at that moment. And uh, you understand how the founder is thinking and you have a much better picture than, than a new investor that is coming in at that stage. So you have much more data uh, to decide uh, whether to double down or not. And at the same time, we are looking at various quantitative or qualitative elements. Um, but I think we, we need to look at these opportunities really one by one and then look at the incremental ROI um, at that stage. Uh, so to see whether our money is better spent at another follow-on or maybe when doing some new investment. So we are now in the sixth year of this fund mm -hmm. and uh, definitely um, we prefer to do more kind of like a uh, follow-on investments than enter the new ones because the fund life is 10 years. So we have about three or four years to exit from all of the companies. And then it's not really enough time to kind of like get into a seed stage opportunity, then 
follow it to to a large exit. But yeah. um, definitely looking one by one, and then uh, uh, searching, you know, based on the data that we see. So we have a pretty pretty uh, pretty um, sophisticated process to figure out whether we want to to continue to put more money in it or just to um, be on the side and then support the company uh, with maybe advice or some other support, but not extra financial investments. Great. Uh, could you tell us more about the current COVID crisis? Uh, did it affect your company's investments? And if yes, uh, in what way? I mentioned earlier, our fund is agnostic in a way, but uh, at the end of the day, probably around 80% of investments are in B2B software. And uh, uh, some, of, some of the companies actually are remote work enablers. Um, and they, they had quite a lot of success. So we call them uh, COVID profiteers. So example of them is a company called WorkPulse or WorkPulse.com. And uh, this company is in the employee uh, productivity space and its monthly revenues in 2020 uh, grew 8x. So uh, at the end of the day, we are actually viewing the portfolio as more resistant and in a better situation than before COVID. So kind of like a anti-fragile as uh, Nicolas Taleb would mention. Um, so we are very proud of it. And then um, if I look at the kind of like on the other side, there was only one company in our portfolio, which is, I would say in a worse situation than before, which had issues. And this, this was more macro related. This company is in the medical tourism sector. Uh, they're focused on dialysis and uh, I don't think it's realistic to expect that uh, their customers who are uh, having the, the, the kidney problems would be able to travel in a, a nearby future. So uh, that's probably a, a company which would have difficulties to grow uh, same way as it did before. But all other ones, I would say, are uh, growing even better than we expected. Amazing. Thank you so much for the insights. I have uh, two more questions for you. How did you see the industry on transformation, I'm sorry, over the years? Is there any major trend? How do you think investing in the Balkan area might change over the course of the next few years? The Balkan as a region does not have a long history, the long culture of large private enterprises. And I think on one side, that, that's really good because the companies need to start selling globally from day one. Um, so. You, as you don't have many customers on the ground, their budgets are limited, so you need to go abroad and you need to sell online. So we see this as a uh, big advantage at the end of the day. Um, and we see the current situation as early innings of the ecosystem. Um, so it's much better than it was a couple of years ago. Um, there are more startups coming in. We are also seeing uh, serial entrepreneurs, so someone who was uh, starting a company in uh, 2010, they're now starting their second or third with much more experience. And uh, we see that in some exits that we have, we have companies with billion dollar valuations, not in our portfolio uh, so far, but we, there is a company called Infobit, which is in Croatia. Uh, they're doing enterprise messaging. Uh, with, they raised uh, $200 million from the US-based investors. Uh, there was also a company called Outfit7 from Slovenia. Uh, which, is, uh, which is a publisher of Talking Tom, and they had a billion-dollar exit. There is a company called Nordeus, which also published a game. Uh, 
top 11 in Serbia. So we are very bullish. Uh, we are hoping to have more stories such as these ones, and we want to actively participate in them and really help them uh, grow and develop their full potential. What are the recurring traits that you see in the startups that succeed? Um, so for us, um, as a business, of course, the key element when we invest is, is the team part. We also analyze extensively the market, but also the product. So if you look at the team, um, the recurring traits that I see is really uh, the founding team. Um, so usually having two to three founders is ideal. And ideally when they have uh, complementary skill sets, so for example, one person would have strong business side, one strong technical. Having too many founders, um, it's very uh, it's very difficult to manage then. And then there is a high risk then if one people leaves, what's happening with the cap table. And then if you're having a single founder, it's too much pressure on one person. But again, these are not the deal breakers. I'm just saying what are the things that uh, work better for us. Um, and then really focusing on the values. That's kind of like what we, we want to analyze early on before we, we invest is to see how people would react in different situations, how ethical they are, but also at the end of the day, how cosmopolitan they are. If it's uh, someone who is from Belgrade, do they know how the customer in China or in Africa is able to react to their product? Are they able to, to move into the shoes of these customers? Uh, so I would say uh, for us, big part is related to the founders. And then on the market side, uh, we see the advantage when people that are starting the company know the insides outs and have some unfair advantages and they know the, the landscape. And we like to enter the, the markets that are not maybe $100 billion, but are not too small. So maybe like a medium size. And we know that this company has a way to become a monopoly or number one or number two player in it. Uh, so I would say these will be the key parts. And then really the third part around the product and technology is to really test out during the due diligence process. Is this really going to make a difference or it's just a fluff? And last but not least, would you have any advice uh, to give to someone who has not any tech background and wants to go to work in a VC fund? Okay, so uh, please take this uh, with a grain of salt. We are seeing a, a shift in the paradigm. So when I was doing my MBA or earlier, so five, 10 years ago, when you were exiting the business school, uh, the goal was really to enter the linear career path. Um, so people would go into consulting or investment banking. And I think it, it, there was really a, a big change, especially in the last year when the COVID started. So I really see this as exponential growth opportunity. So there, there'll, be there'll be people starting companies or entering funds, and then very quickly on, they'll be able to make much more impact than in the past. If you ask me, uh, I think the key element is to have some kind of an edge uh, some competitive advantage uh, that others cannot copy. And uh, I think this can be, for example, if you know one region really well, and then you want to be a number one VC uh, in that region, that's amazing. If you're an expert in, for example, one function, and that can be uh, sales or business development or marketing or product management, then you can position as a go-to person 
uh, in that space and really be able to get all of the, the startups in that space and show that as an asset when you speak to a VC fund. So it can be various trends, maybe blockchain, AI, biotech, uh, but just having that edge and uh, knowing that this is actually quite a lonely job uh, where you need to continuously learn and grow every day and uh, it's patience. Uh, it's going to take a lot of time until you see results. And first, uh, you're going to see the negative ones because the companies that are not doing well are going to fail. Uh, but be persistent and good things are going to happen. Pedja, thank you so much for participating in our event today. We're already at the end of this podcast. Thank you, Pedja, so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please feel free to contact us should you have any questions for Pedja. Bye.